Welcome to the Hill City Church Podcast. We are a church family located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about us and support our ministries at hillcitysgf.org. Good morning. Yeah. Yeah. I'm Daniel. Uh, I'm from Perugia. And she's... Alessandra from Perugia. And we are about to read Ephesians 6. So, in Italian... Del resto, fortificatevi nel Signore e nella forza della sua potenza. Rivestitevi della completa armatura di Dio, affinché possiate star saldi contro le insidie del diavolo. Il nostro combattimento, infatti, non è contro sangue e carne, ma contro i principati, contro le potenze, contro i dominatori di questo mondo di tenebre, contro le forze spirituali della malvagità, che sono nei luoghi celesti. Perciò prendete la completa armatura di Dio affinché possiate resistere nel giorno malvagio e restare in piedi dopo aver compiuto tutto il vostro dovere. State dunque saldi, prendete la verità per cintura dei vostri fianchi, rivestitevi della corazza della giustizia, mettete come calzature ai vostri piedi lo zelo dato dal, dal Vangelo della Pace. Prendete... Oltre a tutto ciò lo scudo della fede, con il quale potrete spegnere tutti i dardi infocati del maligno. Prendete anche l'elmo della salvezza e la spada dello Spirito, che è la parola di Dio. Pregate in ogni tempo, per mezzo dello Spirito, con ogni preghiera e supplica. Vegliate a questo scopo con ogni perseveranza. Pregate per tutti i santi e anche per me, affinché mi sia dato di parlare apertamente, per far conoscere con franchezza il mistero del Vangelo, per il quale sono ambasciatore in catene, perché lo annunzi francamente, come conviene che ne parli. You guys can grab a seat. Good morning. So we have a, a real light topic we're talking about today, spiritual warfare. I'm excited for it. My name is Aaron Nelson. I am the Salt Company Director here at Hill City. Um, and for those of you who don't know what Salt Company is, it is our college ministry. It is our attempt to raise up the next generation of leaders in the church. And I have the privilege and honor of getting to work with that ministry. One of our strategies in Salt Company is something called leadership. We have a leadership team, um, and it, part of this strategy for us is really just to take the gospel to the campuses of Springfield. Um, and part of that process of coming on to leadership is going through an interview process. We just finished up these interviews this past week, and honestly, it is one of my favorite parts of my job. I mean, to sit across from college students who have been radically transformed by the gospel, and to see how Jesus is still currently Moving in them and moving in the people around them is one of my favorite things. It's my third year to get to do this. And every year I just sit in that chair and think like, I get to sit across from some of the coolest people I know in these interviews. It is awesome. I love it. Some of the people we get to sit across from are foreign exchange students. And they're always fun to talk to. And I love asking one particular question to um, anyone from somewhere besides America. And it's this, what is the biggest difference in following Jesus here and back home, for those who follow Jesus back home. And they have all kinds of different answers, um, but the one I hear the most often, the most common, especially from 
students from certain parts of the world is this, and I'm paraphrasing, spiritual warfare. It's very different here in America than it is in other parts of the globe. Um, I remember sitting across from a student in the student union at Missouri State's campus and talking with him about this topic. He goes, honestly, it's just really weird here. He's like, we don't ever talk about it, and when we do, it's like once or twice a year in a sermon series. He's like, back home, we talk about it all the time. Like, not even just at church, like in conversation, we have to be willing to talk about it because it's so present. It's everywhere at home. So they, I asked them, why do you think that is? And they asked me, why do you think it's like it is here? I'm like, that's a great question. Uh, I would love to know the answer to that. And so I've done my own studying and my own research to try to figure this out. And here's what I think a lot of it comes down to, is we like science a lot in the modern Western world. Like, we like to be able to prove things, to be able to theorize things. And the spiritual realm is not something you can, like, prove or theorize something over. We want to talk about things that are fixable. We like the ologies, psychology, sociology. We like to be able to talk about those things and get to things to trace back to, like, why is evil present in your life? And so we go to psychology and sociology. And listen, those things are incredible. Those are incredible resources. We have a ton of people in those fields in this room. And they are a gift to the church and to the world. But here's what I tend thinks to happen, especially in the Western world in modern day, is we tend to go to those things first. That's where we go to seek to understand, like, why are evil things happening? We go to those things first oftentimes at the expense of remembering that there is a bigger thing at play. There is a very present and real evil in this world. And so when we have that approach, it sets us up to be surprised when unexplainable evil things happen. They can throw us into confusion and doubt very quickly. I've been uh, reading C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters for like, it feels like two years now. It's one of those books I've been like I'll read four chapters and forget about for three and a half months and come back and read two more chapters. But it's, been, it's an incredible take on understanding the spiritual realm. And one of the things C.S. Lewis puts forth in his book is that he believes humans make two opposite and equal errors when it comes to understanding the role of the devil. The first is that we underestimate it, and the second is that we overestimate it. So underestimating it is a, a disbelief of the spiritual realm even being present. He refers to it as materialist. Like anything that happens is because of something that we can tangibly understand or see. It's, it's a materialist. It's an underestimation of evil. The other side is an overestimation of evil. And this is an excessive fear of the spiritual realm. Like anything that happens, any negative experience is automatically placed, well, this is the work of evil. And it's just thinking that every single little thing that happens is due to the work of the spiritual realm. And here's what C.S. Lewis says, evil appreciates both just as much. Whether, whatever side you fall on there, evil is okay with that. What evil doesn't want is a healthy understanding of its strategies and schemes against God's people. I know for the longest time, I mean, I grew up not allowed to watch these kind of movies, but Paranormal Activity, those kind of things, Annabelle, those wild movies, I don't get how people watch those in general. But those types of movies, I thought that that's how the devil works, 
right? Paranormal activity type of things. But listen, when that is our only understanding of evil, we're actually missing out on the bigger part of its strategy that is very present and works in a much quieter way, but just as powerful. Here's what evil wants to do, is it wants to kill, steal, and destroy. Kill, steal, and destroy. And as we head in to verse 10 today, we're only going to be spending the first three verses, spending time in the first three verses of what Daniel and Alessandra read for us, verses 10 to 13. Paul is going to remind us and warn us and give insight into the role that evil is currently playing in the world. Before we hop in, I think it's important for us to note just a few important historical things that were going on. We have to remember Paul was writing to the church in Ephesus, the Christians in Ephesus, and here's what he's done so far. We've been going through Ephesians for 16 weeks. We're on week 17. The first few chapters, Paul's writing about what God has done through Christ and what it means for us. And Paul talks about this new thing that's being created called the church. And how God is maturing the church and building it up. And he has created this new mankind to be united as a body. So that's where he goes for the first few chapters. And the next, the last few chapters, he talks about walking in a way that is worthy of that calling. Having Christian conduct, what do we do? How do we implement all of these things? We tend to really love Ephesians because of how practical it gets. And then as we've been in those last few chapters over the last few weeks, we've been talking about how to remain united in different types of relationships. So we've talked about relationships with wives and husbands, children and parents, and bond servants and masters. And what Paul is going to do today is he's going to continue in this line of understanding how to remain unified in relationships. But this week we're going to talk about remaining unified in relationship to evil. How do we as the church remain unified against evil. So we start in verse 10. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So next week, Brad is going to be talking about putting on the whole armor of God. That's where we're going next week. We're not going to talk about it this week, but we will get to that. Where I want to start off today is on the second part of verse 11. You say, what about verse 10? Don't worry, we're going to come back to it. But the second part of verse 11 says, Put on the whole arm of God that you may be able to stand against. This word stand, um, when you look at the root of this word, it means to establish. To establish, like to stand firm is a way that Paul is going to say it here in a little while. But to establish, I, I get this mental picture of, I grew up playing basketball, and they teach you fundamentals like triple threat. Anybody know what that is? Triple threat. My coach made me just sit here and do these for like hours, it felt like. Learn triple threat. But it, the whole purpose is to have a wide base to establish yourself. That's what Paul is communicating here. Like stand firm against the schemes of the devil. This here is the second time Paul has mentioned this idea of schemes. We go back to chapter 14, where he's talking about the maturing of the body. And we get to verse 14. He says, we need to mature so that we may no longer be children. Tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. 
by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So the first time that Paul talks about this, he hints towards the crafty nature of these schemes or strategies. Like he hints that they're deceitful, but he doesn't tell us like where do these schemes come from. But then we come to this word the second time here in chapter 6, and he reveals the root of these schemes. And that is the root of evil. Which I think begs the question, pretty naturally, okay, what are the schemes and strategies of the devil? There's a few that the devil works through. The first one I want to acknowledge today is like how the devil works against the church. Remember, we're in Ephesians. We're talking about the church right now. And he actually refers back to it also in Ephesians 4, how, he, how we are not to give any opportunity to the devil. Any opportunity to the devil. And that's a few of the things he references that give opportunity to the devil are falsehood. Not being honest with one another. Anger. This is a big one. Like unprocessed anger, holding bitterness towards one another. Stealing, corrupting talk. Like anything evil can do to bring division between its people. To break the unity that Paul has been talking about in all of Ephesians that we're growing towards. Listen, there's going to be a lot of opportunity for evil to work at us here at Hill City in the next, this next season. We're growing a lot right now. We're getting ready to move into the building. Like, evil does not like what's happening here. And it's going to do everything in its power to find any way to keep us from being unified. And we must know that. So evil has a strategy for the church, but it also has strategies for our personal lives. Like how it wants to affect us on an individual basis. These two things, these two strategies I'm getting ready to talk to, I'm not going to lie, I stole them right from Tim Keller. They are not my brainchild. Went to someone a lot smarter than me, but I love what Tim Keller has to say about evil and how it works. There's two strategies he talks about that evil uses on an individual basis. The first one comes from the name of the devil in and of itself. The Greek word diablos means accuser. The first strategy of evil is that he accuses. Accuses. Revelation 12.10 refers to to the, evil, to, to the devil as the one who accuses Christians day and night before our God. Here's what, it, here's what the devil's accusations create. They create a low view of yourself so that we do things we shouldn't do. A low view of yourself so we do things we shouldn't do. Another way to put it is these accusations cause us to focus on God's holiness but ignore and neglect God's love. And so you put yourself in that position, the accused, and you're only focusing on God's holiness, well, we know we can't live up to that. We will never live up to the holiness that is the creator of the universe. And when we neglect his love, where does that leave us? Ashamed of who we are. Broken, lonely, unloved, not valued. And there's a few devices. These are just a few. There's a lot more than that. But there's a few devices or thoughts that evil works through that works through these accusations. Here's a few. He causes us to look at our sin more than we look at our Savior. 
We all know the depths of our sin in this room. We know how broken we are. And evil wants us to remember that only. Not remember that there is a God who was willing to die for us even in the midst of that. Another device is evil wants us to obsess over past sin that's caused damage or hurt in those around us that we can't undo. To just obsess over it, to keep looking so much at it that we can never move into what God is calling us into. And so we get stuck in this perpetual, secular sin patterns in our life because we're so focused on what's happened, not what God is doing. Another accusation device he uses. This, was, this is a good one. Um, he makes us focus on our inner thought life. I don't know if you're like me. I know how ugly my inner thoughts can be. How broken they can be. Um, and evil wants to use that thought life and convince us Christians don't think that way. You can't think that. You're not a Christian. Therefore, if you don't think like a Christian, you might as well not act like a Christian. And evil wants to use these devices. First strategy is he accuses. The second strategy of evil is that he tempts. So this is on the flip side. Where, where his accusations, accusations cause a low view of ourself, his temptation causes a high view of ourself so that we do things we shouldn't do. This is more of a prideful pro- posture. It brings us to focus on God's love, but ignore and neglect God's holiness. I'm a child of God, I'm loved by God, I'm valued by God, which, here's what we have to understand, those are true statements. But it's when we neglect also who God is, his holiness. We get caught up in how broken we are, and so we get this high, puffed-up view of our own self. And he has some devices he uses here. Listen, I'm not going to lie. This is where evil lives in my life, 100%. Evil convinces me quite often of how great I am. And so these, listen... (laughs) The Lord was working on me more than anybody else in this room when I was working through this. I was writing these down. I was like, man, I feel like I'm just preaching to myself. But here are the few of the devices, the thoughts that evil uses to tempt. Rationalizes sin as virtue. Convinces you that your sin is actually your well-doing. Thoughts like, I'm not nosy, I'm just concerned. I'm not mean, I'm just passionate. I'm not prideful, I just stand up for what's right. Rationalizes sin as virtue. He also wants us to compare areas of our life. So like, I read my Bible, I pray, I'm kind to people, I'm generous. So like, what's the big deal if I do this? You see how evil gets you to think how great you are in order to manipulate you. Temptation. This next one is me in high school. Actually, it's still me today. Evil wants to show you the sins of others and compare your sins to them. 
well, at least I don't do that. You know, in, in high school, I, my parents are going to watch this, not like they don't know this. I lied to my parents so much. Oh, my gosh. Like, I lied to my parents so much in high school. From, like, the stupidest little things to the big things. Um, stupid things, like knowing my parents are going to get my report card in, like, three days and them asking me my grades and me just straight up lying to them. Like, yeah, B plus. And I come home, son, C minus, what are you? It's a stupid lie. But I'd lie regardless. But then I'd also lie about big things. Like, I'm a 17-year-old who has a girlfriend, and as a 17-year-old who has a girlfriend, I want to spend all of my time with my girlfriend. My parents, knowing I'm a 17-year-old who wants to spend all of my time with my girlfriend and knows how stupid that is, don't let me. And so, hey, what are you doing tonight? Yeah, I'm going to Dylan's house. I'm going to go watch some basketball, hang out. I'm lying. I'm going to my girlfriend's. But they don't know that. And I remember my thought process every time I would do this. Well, yeah, I'm lying to my parents, but... You know, at least I'm not, like, going and partying. My lie that I'm given, the thing that I'm actually doing isn't that bad. It could be worse. And that's the temptation of evil. These are the strategies, temptation, accusation that evil wants us to buy into. The things that Ephesians 2 talks about. Buy into the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and where by nature we are children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Here's the thing about these strategies. Evil's really good at them. Like, really good. Evil's not a bad coach, like a bad coach with a bad strategy. Um, Evil actually has had the same strategy for thousands and thousands of years and keeps using it. Why? Because it works. It's worked for thousands of years. Why would it stop working now? So we get to verse 12. As we're talking, as it moves past the schemes, it talks about where the schemes take place. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. I love this word wrestle. Um, this is the only time it's used in the Bible, is right here in this verse. Um, and it communi- communicates the active wrestling. It's not past, it's not future, it's like you are wrestling right now. Other translations say things like struggle or fight. I like the translation of wrestle because it paints this picture of the intimacy of the war that we're at with evil. Like it is hand-to-hand combat, knives, like we are at war with evil. And we're going to wrestle for our life, but it's not against flesh and blood, that we're wrestling against. Evil would love for you to think that you're wrestling flesh and blood. Evil would love for you to think that you're just fighting with your parents, that you're just fighting with your friends or coworkers or spouse or that person you're angry with. But the reality is, is there's a much deeper war at work, a much deeper battle that's present. Which verse 12 goes on to tell us, no, we're actually at battle with the rulers. Against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. And against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We have to remember who Paul is writing to here. Um, He's writing to the, the Christians of Ephesus, the church of Ephesus. Who live in a city 
where there is widespread worship of this goddess named Artemis. And Artemis, from this, this goddess, spread a lot of cults. And in these cults, a lot of crazy demonic things were happening from these cults, like like magicians were very present. There's lots of magic, and we're not talking like pull a bunny out of the hat magic. Like we're talking like dark magic, wielding forces of evil to do what these magicians ask. Like dark things, prostitution, mystical visions. Ephesus was seen as one of the most hospitable places in that time to magic. And so Paul is writing to a people who are very aware of the spiritual world around them. They experience it probably on a daily basis. And here's what he's telling them, like, yeah, there's evil at play. What you're seeing is bigger than flesh and blood. There's some unknown powers that are working in the people and lives around you. And also, like, let's listen to the words Paul uses here. Authorities, cosmic powers, rulers, spiritual forces. These aren't like small, tame words. Small, tame concepts. It's a reminder to, like, don't underestimate the power of evil. Like, these words invoke invoke some respect. They invoke some caution as we approach evil. And then Paul finishes out this section with verse 13. It says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. So this is the summary Paul brings to us. He encourages us once again to put on the whole armor of God, and once again to establish themselves. But he uses establish yourself against what? The evil day. The evil day. Interesting choice of words, but actually we get some clarity on this back from Galatians 1.4 where Paul writes. It's talking about what Jesus has done who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. Here, here's what Paul is communicating to the people of Ephesus. Listen, the evil day is here. It is upon us. The work of evil is around us and it is active and it is trying to steal, kill, and destroy. It's not a matter of if or when, it's a matter of now. And we're going to be in this fight until the day that Jesus returns. It's not going anywhere. And so, Because of that reality, we must do all that we can to stand firm, to establish ourselves, And that's where Brad is going to take us next week. What does it mean to put on this whole armor? That's where we're going. But for this week, Paul is reminding us, evil's at work and we have to do all we can to stay firm. So I'm not going to send us home today with like a three things to do to change your view of spiritual warfare. I want us to walk away today knowing two things. Two things. First thing we must know, 
at Hill City Church and in the Big C Church as a whole is this. Evil wants to destroy the church in this world. We have to be able to recognize that. Not, not just in the Middle East, not just where there is um, magic happening. No, in Springfield, Missouri, 2022, evil wants to destroy the church. As we speak, it is working on the minds and the hearts of the people sitting in and outside of this room. So we have to be able to ask questions. We have to be able to evaluate. That is part of being prepared is ask like proactive questions of our life. I think the question that presented itself the most to me was how is evil presently scheming in my life? Like what is evil trying to do right now in my life to bring disunity? Listen, I believe there's a reason for you parents, you woke up impatient with your kid this morning. There's a deeper reason. I believe there's a reason that you hold on to this anger that won't dissipate towards one of your friends. You can't bring yourself to forgive your dad. There's a reason social media is shredding your confidence. It's because the evil is using it to tempt and accuse. I got a good quote from DMAC. It says, evil rarely looks evil until it accomplishes its goal. Evil rarely looks evil until it accomplishes its goal. But I believe that's oftentimes due to us not remembering that evil's at work. What if more often we were remembering that the enemy has a strategy it's working? And we were looking more often to see what evil is trying to use to accomplish its goal. We just need to be aware of evil's presence so that we can proactively stand against it. So we must know that evil wants to destroy the church. But more importantly, and like honestly, as a Christian, we just always have to remember this. God is still the authority. The work of evil is not the authority. The presence of darkness is not the authority. God is still the authority. And listen, this isn't a reactive statement. This is not as a response to knowing that evil wants to destroy the church. No, this is our starting point. We start with knowing that God is the authority. So this goddess, Artemis, she was thought to be from the heavens by many. Um, if not her specifically, her statue that was in the city was thought to be sent from heaven. So they would have thought of this Artemis as one of the rulers, as the authority, as the cosmic power and forces from the heavenly places. That's how she would have been viewed. So as the, the Ephesian people would have been hearing chapter 6 read, they would have connected this back to Artemis. But they also would have already read chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 20, they would have already heard. And, and Paul here is talking about our hope that is Jesus and the work that's been done through Jesus. And how after Jesus' after Jesus' death and resurrection, God seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Here we go. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also 
in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fits, fills all in all. Here's the reality to the Ephesians and to Hill City Church. Evil wants to destroy the church, but it never can. It never can. It has already been defeated. Christ has already been put as the authority above it. And so as the people of Ephesus are hearing this, this is just a reminder. They're hearing this. They're not scared by what they're hearing because they've already been told who is the authority. And it brings us to this like already but not yet tension that we constantly live in today. That yes, Jesus has already defeated sin, and yet it is still present. And we have to be aware of that. Evil wants to destroy the church, but it never can. If you're serving communion, you guys can go up, go ahead and come up and start getting prepared. Told you guys we were going to come back to verse 10. Here we are. Verse 10 says this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. I don't love the translation here because this, the way we read it, like be strong in the Lord is like I am creating my strength in the Lord. But as we look at the, as the Greek was used here, it's actually passive. Like we are acquiring our strength from the Lord. We don't create that strength. Only he does that. Only he gives us the power. Our might does not come from ourselves, but from the creator. So why do we need to get our strength from the Lord? Here's why. Because we aren't strong enough to defeat evil on our own. It has authority over us. It's stronger than us. It's more powerful than us. But guess what? It's what we say all the time. It's what they say all the time up in Hill City Kids. God is in charge of everything. Not evil, God. God is over everything. He's more powerful than everything and he is wiser than everything and his son's blood covers everything. There is no sin, there is no brokenness out of the reach of the blood of Jesus. So today as we get the opportunity to take communion, as that bread is broken for you that represents the body of Christ, know that that body has power over evil. And as it gets dipped in the juice that represents the blood of Jesus, know that his blood has power over sin and death. So as we take communion today, may we remember it is in that work, it is in that truth that we are strengthened to face the schemes of the devil.